When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A fraction of a second after the Big Bang, the tiny, infant universe was pure, furious, incredible energy. At this, the beginning of time, the fundamental forces of nature were unified as one. Gravity was the first of those forces to separate out as the universe began to cool and expand. An instant later, the strong nuclear force emerged. That left behind the electro-weak force. The cloud of energy soon began to crystallise into the elementary particles from which we and everything else we can see are made, quarks and leptons. A fraction of a second later, a new quantum field, known as the Higgs field, switched on. All the quarks and leptons suddenly acquired mass. The Higgs field also split the electroweak force into the more familiar forces we see today, the weak nuclear interaction and electromagnetism. By the time the universe was around 10 seconds old, the quarks had coalesced into protons and neutrons. In the next few minutes, they and the electrons, which were the most abundant of the leptons, formed the first hydrogen atoms. They then went on to form stars, planets, and 13.7 billion years later, you. We know a lot about those first few seconds of the universe, but we don't know everything. Our best scientific theories only describe normal matter, which is about 5% of what we know is in the universe. The rest is composed of a mysterious substance known as dark matter and an even more mysterious force, dark energy. Dark matter seems to bind the universe together, while dark energy is pushing space-time apart. To unlock the secrets of the universe, you need to recreate the conditions as close as possible to the Big Bang, and then look at how the particles, forces and energy there behave. At the Large Hadron Collider, or LHC, on the Franco-Swiss border, scientists smash together protons at nearly the speed of light. That recreates the hot, dense, messy conditions that existed in the few seconds after the Big Bang. Today, the LHC will reach its highest energies yet, the closest it's ever got to that energetic maelstrom that started the universe. Previously on the show, we spoke to engineers and experimentalists to find out how the LHC has been upgraded over the past three and a half years. Now, we're looking at how this machine 
could push physics beyond what's known in the standard model. Hello and welcome to Babbage from The Economist, our weekly podcast on science and technology. I'm Alok Jha, The Economist's science correspondent. It's been 10 years since the Higgs boson was found at the LHC, so what's next for fundamental physics? The standard model is showing some intriguing cracks. Today we'll explore whether scientists have finally seen some tantalising glimpses of the new physics that they've spent decades searching for. Understanding the origins of everything has been one of the goals of philosophers and scientists since, well, since well before there was any formal study into the topic. Today, that work, at least at the fundamental science level, is carried out by physicists at places like the European Organisation for Nuclear Research, or CERN. Our goal is to understand how nature works at the most fundamental level. Fabiola Gianotti is the Director General of CERN. She was one of the scientists who actually discovered the Higgs boson. She spoke as the Large Hadron Collider reopened for its next phase of experiments, called RUN3. For me, the greatest discovery would be really to, you know, to produce here in a collider in Switzerland and France the particle that uh, constitute the dark matter. So they represent 25% of the universe in this case. Our knowledge of the universe will increase from the 5% currently to 30%. But I don't know if this particle is a supersymmetric particle or something else. We don't really know. Uh, I think the important thing for me is really to address the, the open question and try to understand how things work. The restart of the LHC today also coincides with the 10-year anniversary of the discovery of the Higgs boson. Now that particle is part of a quantum field that gives everything else its mass. The Higgs boson is a very special particle. It brings a new type of interaction. But perhaps most importantly, the Higgs boson is related to some of the most uh, profound open questions in uh, fundamental physics today. Related, for instance, to the structure, to the fate of the universe. Uh, Is the universe stable, for instance? Related to the way the other elementary particles are organized in, in families. So the important thing is that the Higgs boson is a very precise microscope to study nature at the smallest scales and distances, and at the same time is a formidable telescope to access uh, physics at very high energy scales indirectly. And so it's really a tool for discovery, and that's why it's so important to measure the Higgs boson with the highest possible precision. At the LHC, scientists try to understand what exactly happened in the universe in the infinitesimally small fractions of time after the Big Bang. How did the forces separate? How did the Higgs field come into existence? Why does matter exist at all? Particle physics does not just simply want to understand the how. It's not a descriptive science. We're not satisfied at the moment that we understand a certain phenomenon in the sense that we are able to describe it as it happens sometimes in other sciences. Our goal is to understand the whys, not simply the how. Jean Giaduce is the head of the theoretical physics department at CERN. Now we are in the process of understanding the why why the Higgs boson has those properties. 
how is that related with the fundamental principles of nature? And you have to understand that this process of understanding the whys is not just like a switch on and off. You understand, you don't understand. It's a gradual process of understanding nature at a deeper level. Ten years ago, we have opened uh, this uh, new chapter and uh, have understood a lot of the hows. Now we are in a layer of understanding the whys, which may not necessarily end up with uh, you know, one new discovery, but with gaining knowledge. Because uh, the goal of particle physics is gaining knowledge on uh, fundamental principles of nature. Jan works at the intersection between the experimental physics, in other words, the particle collisions that are carried out at the LHC, and the mathematical theory that tries to put all those results into a meaningful scientific framework. We know that there is a strong uh, relation between the cosmology and particle physics, but recently we really have opened new chapters and we are finding that not only particle physics determines the fate of the universe, but actually the history of the universe determines particle physics. Finding a dark matter particle, something that can exert gravity but otherwise cannot be seen or detected, is an important goal for both cosmologists and particle physicists. At the moment, the dark matter particle could be quasi-radiation with a wavelength as big as a parsec, or it could be some black hole as heavy as some asteroid or the moon, and anything in between. Okay, So there is an extremely wide range of possibilities, which uh, means two things. One is that in order to explore this phenomena, we need uh, to widen uh, our experimental strategy. The second impact is that this process of widening our horizon has uh, revealed a variety of different uh, signals that could come at the LHC, which were previously neglected uh, at the LHC. I'm talking about processes, for instance, with uh, very strange and unusual decay processes, or that can have new kind of forces which are extremely feeble. So in a sense, it's not necessarily just a search for the dark matter, but the dark matter has motivated a variety of uh, new experimental techniques and experimental channels which will certainly be of great importance uh, for the future LHC program. The experimenters will continue to look for the dark matter particle in the new phase of the LHC. But the neglected results that Jan is talking about there are also guiding new theories for how the universe might work. First, though, let's look at the standard model of particle physics. It's one of the most tested and most successful theories in modern science. It describes the basic building blocks of matter and how they interact with each other. We started the show with quarks and leptons. These are tiny particles known as fermions. That means they make up the matter, the atoms and molecules, that we're all made of. The other class of particles are bosons. Bosons carry the forces between all of the stuff. Take photons, for example. Photons carry the electromagnetic force. They're also the particles of light. The standard model is a collection of quantum theories that when put together can be written down in one set of very long equations. 
as Victoria Martin, a professor of physics at the University of Edinburgh, told me. This is a gloriously beautiful thing that you can write down in probably several pages of equations, but it amazingly seems to describe almost everything that happens down at the subatomic level. The Higgs boson was the last piece of that model. It was first hypothesised in 1964, but it wasn't until 2012 that it was discovered by scientists at the LHC. The Higgs was said to have completed the now 50-year-old standard model. But that doesn't mean that fundamental physics is finished. The truth is, the standard model has never been a complete description of nature. We know that it doesn't account for gravity, for example, or dark energy or dark matter. And it also can't explain why there's more matter in the universe than there is antimatter. Now, these are all well-established problems. For decades now, particle physicists have been trying to augment the standard model with new mathematical theories to try and account for all the big, open questions. Mathematical theories are useful, but nothing in physics is agreed to be real until it's been observed and proved by experiment. For a long time, the leading idea to supersede the standard model has been something called supersymmetry. In the 1990s, we were very keen on supersymmetry. Ben Alanak is a professor of theoretical physics at the University of Cambridge. So supersymmetry is a theory, it's actually a mathematical symmetry that you can impose upon the standard model. And one of the big missing pieces in the standard model is there is no particle which has the right properties to be dark matter. And we know that there must be some species of stuff that is dark matter. Um, I mean, it's stuff that's dark against the nighttime sky. We know that it makes galaxies rotate too quickly around the outside compared to Newtonian theories of gravity. And so we know there's got to be additional stuff. That's another crack in the standard model. And supersymmetry, one of its particles that it predicted had just the right properties to be dark matter. Supersymmetry says that for every known standard model particle, there also exists a heavier, supersymmetric partner that has yet to be found. So this doubled the spectrum of particles that we should be seeing. And uh, it was a joke at the time that, um, in fact, oh, well, we've discovered half of them already, right? What's interesting is that at least one of those supersymmetric particles would have the kinds of properties you might need if you want to explain dark matter. One of the big hopes of the Large Hadron Collider from my side as well, was that we'd be able to see these heavier particles which were predicted by supersymmetry. It's a grand and beautiful theory. It appealed to many theoretical physicists because it was so mathematically consistent and because it so neatly explained pretty much everything that was missing from the standard model. But alas, no evidence for supersymmetric particles has ever been found at any particle colliders, not even the world's most powerful machine, the LHC. Victoria Martin has some thoughts on why that might be. The supersymmetric particles just could be too heavy, or they just might be rare and we haven't quite been lucky enough yet to have seen them at the LHC. And we will be able to see them eventually with the LHC, but after we collect all of the run-through data. Finding more massive particles, which is what those supersymmetric ones might be, means accessing higher energies. That could mean waiting for future iterations of the LHC. 
While Victoria Martin is taking the wait-and-see approach, Ben Alanak has decided to turn his attention elsewhere. I've more or less stopped working on supersymmetry, not because I think it's necessarily wrong, but just because I think there's probably not going to be a discovery in the next five years of supersymmetry. So we are looking elsewhere. Since supersymmetry hasn't been found in experiments so far, theoretical physicists have been looking for alternative ideas to extend the standard model. But rather than build a brand new grand theory of everything, some scientists are instead adopting a more humble, piecemeal approach. That starts with studying the known standard model in ever greater resolution and looking for anything that doesn't quite make sense, however small that discrepancy. We can use the standard model to make very precise predictions for some things like the masses of some of the particles are how often certain things will happen, like how often we make a Higgs boson in the LHC. And if we see something different, like if we measure the mass of the W boson and it's not what the standard model said, or if we measure how often we make Higgs bosons and it's not what the standard model says, that tells us that we didn't understand everything. The standard model's not the complete picture and that we're going to have to augment it in some way to really understand what's happening down at this tiny quantum level that we're looking into. And that can be used to explain this discrepancy between what we have now, the standard model, and what's actually happening down there. That brings us back to the LHC, more specifically the LHCB experiment, one of the four major detectors at CERN. So you can see an aluminium foam at the bottom. And then Chris Parks is a professor at the University of Manchester. He also leads the scientific team at LHCB, and he showed me around his team's workshop at CERN. And it takes pictures 40 million times a second. In the LHC, protons are forced into each other at almost the speed of light. The collision leaves behind a lot of debris, including particles called mesons. Mesons are made of pairs of quarks, and the ones we're interested in here are called anti-B mesons. These contain bottom or beauty quarks. That's the B, by the way, in LHCB. The beauty particles that we produce then travel a few millimetres to a centimetre and decay into more particles. And those particles then get detected as they fly through these silicon detectors. And it's a bit like join the dots. As you go through each silicon These bottom or beauty quarks don't live for very long. Because they're so massive, they quickly decay into smaller particles. The standard model predicts how these particles should decay. And it specifically says that the process should emit electrons and their heavier cousins, muons, in equal numbers. Another big discovery that we made during this last 10 years was a decay that had been searched for for whew, probably 40 years or so. And this is an important decay because at first level in the theory, you wouldn't think this decay even happened. That discovery that Chris Parks is talking about was when the LHCB experiment ran through a decade of previously gathered data and showed that bottom quarks didn't decay in the expected way. This unexpected result, announced in 2021, was an important spur to action for Ben Alanak and his colleagues. It turns out that they don't decay into muons enough compared to the standard model predictions. 
to be honest and moral theorist, that's exciting. And it's an opportunity because what it means is there could be some additional interactions that's breaking it up with the wrong frequencies. And we've been working on hypotheses to explain that. For example, we've invented a new force that breaks the particles up in a particular way such that it doesn't like to decay into dimuon pairs. The other thing you can look for are the force-carrying particles that we're hypothesizing to break up these particles. And so it turns out you can estimate their mass and they shouldn't be too heavy. And if they're not on the heavier end, you've got a chance of seeing them in LHC run three. So that's one of the things that we're working on at the moment. Experiments in the coming years, both at the Large Hadron Collider with the new detector that I saw and elsewhere, will examine this anomalous finding in greater detail. The discrepancy in bottom quark decays is so interesting because it could be evidence of a new fundamental force of nature. What could this new force be? That's coming up. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today, we've been exploring how bottom quarks, which are a type of subatomic particle, have been acting in a rather peculiar way at the Large Hadron Collider. Essentially, they seem to be decaying into fewer muons than expected. A muon is a more massive relative of an electron. It's one of the most intriguing, exciting recent results in the world of particle physics. If physicists could explain why this unexpected decay is happening, it would change our understanding of the universe. There are two classes of particles that you can have to explain these data. There's leptoquarks and Z-primes. That's Ben Alanak again. He's a theoretical physicist at the University of Cambridge. We're working more on the Z-prime angle, but lots of people are going after these leptoquarks. Each of the fundamental forces in the standard model is carried by particles called bosons. The Z-prime boson, which you heard Ben mention there, would be a new force-carrying particle. The interaction it would be attached to is called the flavour force. It's Ben's preferred idea to explain the unexpected decays of the bottom quarks. Flavour is a label to label the particle. So, for example, we have up quarks and down quarks in the proton, and they're just labelled as different flavours. And the neutral force-carrying particles in the standard model, so the strong nuclear force and the electromagnetic force, they couple to different flavours with the same strength. For example, a photon will couple to an electron, a muon and a tau with exactly the same strength, even though those are different flavours. So what we're introducing is a new force-carrying particle which couples preferentially to muons and doesn't couple to electrons. 
And so that flavor force would be what a fifth fundamental force or something like that, that that sort of extends the standard model and helps to then explain this discrepancy you see between the predictions of the decay and the observations. Exactly, that's uh, that's the idea. The effect of this hypothetical new force would be to interact with muons in such a way that fewer of those particles would be produced whenever a bottom quark decays. There's a mathematical symmetry behind it, but it has something to do with the mass of the particle. And we're supposing that this flavor force couples strongly to the heavier particles in the standard model, but not to the lighter ones very strongly. If the flavor force exists, particle colliders might be able to prove its existence by looking for the Z prime particle. The theory doesn't predict how massive this particle should be, but Ben and his colleagues have worked out a possible range. The Z prime, they reckon, should have a mass that's less than 8,000 times that of a proton. Now, the good news is that the bottom end of that range should be accessible in the reopened LHC. But that's not the only theory to explain the anomalous decay of the bottom quarks. Another invokes a different type of particle and associated force called the leptoquark. The leptoquark would be a new force really changing quark into leptons, which actually would tell us that quark and lepton are two sides of the same object. Gino Isidori is a theoretical physicist at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. And I think this is a very fascinating idea because one of the big mysteries that we cannot explain in physics is we have the proton and the electron, okay? Why these two particles have exactly opposite electric charge? You see, this is crucial for life, okay? Atoms are, are neutral because exactly the charge of the electron is completely balanced by the charge of, of the proton. Again, the, the charge of the proton is given by the charge of the quarks, but again, who tell us that the charge of the quark and the charge of the electron are in one-to-one -one relation. But if these two objects are the same thing with the different, if you want, like two phases of, of a cube, you could understand it. This would be really the main idea of, of a leptoquark, that there is a fundamental unification of quark and lepton. And then this force would be really the one that you want make you turn the cube, so go from one phase to the other, and so transform a quark into a lepton. As we've said before, in the standard model, quarks and leptons are two different types of particles. Quarks make up protons and neutrons inside an atom. Leptons include electrons, and also the more massive muons and tau particles. This force, this leptoquark, would really transform the, the big quark into a lepton, in this case the muon or the tau. And then uh, this force is something that we don't have in the standard model, and would act with a different strength on the different families. This is also very important. And this is why it's giving us a new phenomenon that we have not observed in the standard model. That's the crucial part of this theory. The leptoquark interacts at different strengths with different types of particles. If the leptoquark really exists, it could explain why the bottom quark emits more electrons than muons. What I find particularly interesting is that uh, an interaction that really transforms a quark into a lepton is something that we have not seen so far, and this would be really a new type of force. and could really unify the description of quark and lepton, which are very different than in the standard model, and we don't understand why. In the standard model, there are, rather neatly, six leptons and six quarks. 
the leptoquark theory could help to explain why. And Gino has of course already explained that this theory could account for why the protons and electrons inside an atom have exactly the same but opposite values for electrical charge, solving yet another mystery of the universe, one that's pretty essential for the functioning of normal life. Unlike the Z-prime, the leptoquark itself is too heavy to be produced by the LHC at its current operational energy. But Gino will nevertheless be watching closely for any other hints that the leptoquark force is interacting with the known particles. If we are lucky with the rank 3, we could start to see some more consistent series of deviation in the energy collision that would be unambiguously attributed to the, to the exchange of the leptoquark. If you want, you can be more precise. So usually you see the proton-proton collision giving rise to a pair of tau leptons. The cross-section from this process should start to grow with respect to the standard value prediction in a well-defined manner. This would be the striking signal. Okay, so, so that, that's a very rare occurrence normally, but if you have enough statistics to show that it's happening more than you think, then this would be a signal towards the leptoquark idea. Exactly. In that case, more hints might be coming soon. The anomalous decay of bottom quarks isn't the only result that's dented the standard model recently though. When we were at the Large Hadron Collider earlier in the year, we discussed the measurement of the mass of another particle called the W boson. Recent measurements of it from an American particle physics lab seem to be inconsistent with the predictions of the standard model. We've just written a paper where, we, I mean, we're, we're not sure whether this W mass measurement is going to stand or not, but assuming it does, one of the things that can affect the prediction of it is a Z prime of exactly the kind that we've introduced. Ben Alanak again. And so we thought it, it would be interesting to see whether our model can explain both things. And it turns out you can. The leptoquark theory could also account for this discrepancy in the mass of the W boson. If that is, the mass difference does indeed turn out to be an accurate measurement. Anomalies in the particle physics world are stacking up. In April 2021, a result from Fermilab in America showed that the magnetic properties of muons seem to be wobbling unexpectedly. There's more weird results from CERN too. The LHC's two biggest detectors, ATLAS and CMS, have also recently announced hints of excesses in the production of some of the heavier types of quarks and leptons than predicted by the standard model. All of these anomalies will need piece-by-piece -piece explanations. The flavor force and the leptoquark force are not like supersymmetry, which was an attempt at a much grander theory to explain almost everything that was missing. Instead, these new ideas are more like modest extensions to the current standard model. That reflects something of a shift in the way that some physicists are thinking about physics beyond what's known already. During the 90s, I think we were working in this top-down model where we had string theory-inspired models with supersymmetry and we were hoping to build this kind of grand overarching structure and get a bunch of theoretical or phenomenological predictions which you could go after in an experiment and, you know, one by one they'd sort of pop out. But since they haven't 
come to fruition, <laughs> many of us, or, or at least I, have chosen this different way of working, this bottom-up way of working instead, where we're looking at the data first and then trying to build smaller steps from the data kind of upwards rather than starting with grand theoretical ideas and coming down. There are lots of different approaches, and of course we don't know which one is correct, but personally that's the way I'm working more now. The lack of evidence for supersymmetry has driven this shift. That's one thing that Gino Isidori and Ben Alanak agree on. Supersymmetry, I, I find it is a beautiful idea. However, supersymmetry predicts a lot of other things which so far have not been observed. This is why right now I'm less excited about supersymmetry because of too many other things that require some tuning in the theory that we find less and less natural. So this is why, in my opinion, supersymmetry right now of course, could explain some of the things, but there are many other things that, on the other hand, would require an adjustment, which is not so, so natural. So this is why I'm not particularly excited about supersymmetry for the next experiment. Have you personally, have you given up on supersymmetry and in favor of something else? Or do you think that it's not something you're interested in right now? Yeah, the, essentially, yes, in a sense that I've given up on low energy supersymmetry. I work a lot on that uh, till probably 10 years ago, but then after the Higgs discovery and seeing that there is nothing else really around, then this idea started to be, uh, in my opinion, less natural. And this is why I started to work more on this idea of laptop work, which is a very old idea that now has become back popular, of course, because of this experimental result. Experimentalists will no doubt still continue to look for hints of supersymmetry when the LHC collides particles at even higher energies. But for now, theorists believe that they're better off investigating the individual anomalies and building their models up from there. These incremental improvements to the standard model might stand a better chance of deepening our understanding of why the universe really is the way that it is. All of this might sound like an unsatisfying way to end this podcast, but think about it, it's actually incredibly exciting. When Peter Higgs predicted his eponymous boson in 1964, it took almost 50 years before experimentalists discovered it. When we left the Large Hadron Collider a few months ago though, we showed that the experiments there and elsewhere in other particle accelerators are nowadays leading the theory of particle physics rather than the other way around. The restart of the LHC will mean a much closer examination of particles and forces within the standard model. More data means there are bound to be more weird, unexpected results before too long, and that, in turn, will keep the theorists busier than ever before. There's a lot of uncertainty here, and you know, that's a very healthy place to be for this kind of science. CERN's boss, Fabiola Giannotti, thinks so too. When people ask me, are you convinced that you will discover something? I answer yes, but it means what do you mean by discovery? If discovery is finding a new particle, a new phenomena, this I don't know. It's in the end, it's in the ends of nature, of course. But if discovery means learning more, I can tell you that in my opinion, at the end of round three, I think we will have improved significantly our knowledge of fundamental physics. Wherever Fabiola and her colleagues at CERN and elsewhere go on this epic search, you can be sure that we'll take you, our listeners, there with them. Our thanks to Chris Parks, Victoria Martin, Gino Isidori, 
Ben Alanak, and all of the scientists at CERN and beyond that helped us to understand these incredibly complex and fascinating topics. And thank you for listening to Babbage. In the forthcoming edition of The Economist, you can dive deeper into the LHC, the Standard Model and beyond. You can read my analysis of the future of particle physics in the science and tech section. And you can also read my review of a new book on the history of the Higgs boson in the culture section. To read all of that, make sure you subscribe. You can get your best possible introductory subscription deal at economist.com slash podcast offer. And also catch up with our previous two-part series on the LHC and the future of particle colliders at economist.com slash LHC dash pod. Those links are all in the show notes. Babbage is produced by Jason Hoskin with mixing and sound design by Nico Rofast. The executive producer is Hannah Mourinho. I'm Alok Jha and in London, this is The Economist. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.